everybody, welcome back to P3, the PFAS Pulse podcast, the companion podcast to HRP's aggregate subscription service for all things PFAS, the Pulse. If you're not subscribed, make sure you are now. Get on there, hit that subscription. But today, I am with EHSNS practice leader for HRP, Jackie Baxley. And we are here today to continue our conversation from a previous podcast. When we last talked about TRI in episode 7 of P3, People were getting ready for their TRI reports. They were preparing them for 2021, and there was chatter about removing the de minimis threshold. Uh, So, Jackie, can you tell us what we have seen since then? Hey, Tom, and hello, everybody out there in the PFAS world. So, so yeah, when we last got together and we were talking about TRI reporting, at that point in time, we shared some of the data from the 2020 report year. And now, Tom, we're seeing some of that preliminary data come in from the 2021. So when we last talked, those were the reports people were preparing, the 2021 reports. So I've got some side-by-side comparisons of what was reported for the reporting year of 2020 and what was reported for the uh, reporting year of 2021. And not to, like, bury the lead here, but there's just not a lot of difference that we saw in these two reporting years. So despite the continued emphasis on TRI, despite EPA's, you know, continued um, uh, elevating, I would guess, say their concerns of the quality of the data, we just didn't see the needle shift that much. So, for example, in 2020, we were talking about how underwhelmed EPA was with the number of reports they got. So in 2020, 39 facilities reported PFAS chemicals on their TRI reports. That is 39 out of 21,000. So apparently PFAS is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. We just weren't seeing that in, in these reports. So now... Looking at 2021, Tom, how much do you think that number went up? Well, seeing as how PFAS is everywhere, I would think it went up a couple hundred at least, maybe a thousand or something. You'd have to think, right? Well, I think that's what you know the regulators were hoping for, or for more and more facilities to start to recognize the need for reporting and reporting. But that number went from 39 to 45. <laughs> so, you know, that number is moving up, but but there's still an impression um, that we might just not be capturing all of the PFAS that is actually out there in these TRI reports. Now, that could be because you know, it's just not as ubiquitous as we thought. Mm-hmm. But I think the more likely scenario is what we talked about back in May. The data is just still not out there. You know, mm-hmm. as we were helping clients through their TRI reporting, we're still seeing the best available information from the supply chain, um, maybe being a little bit outdated relative to PFAS. But then also that de minimis concentration that we talked about last time. Mm. So we're still living with the de minimis on these. And so where PFAS is ubiquitous and it's everywhere, you know, it's maybe used in very small percentages in products. And because of that de minimis amount, 1%, so if PFAS is sitting in a product that we're using at a facility and less than 1%, I don't even have to do the math to see if I need to report it. Mm. So so we're not we're still not seeing great numbers. You know, the the jury is still out. Is that because of the de minimis? Is that because of available data? Or is it a little bit of both? Mm. Sounds like we're going to see the removal of the de minimis requirement. How soon do you think that's going to happen? So looking at my crystal ball um, and reading some reports, you know, and and news releases here recently, um, it is claimed as early as this fall. Mm. We're going to see some of that draft uh, revised language for the regulations 
to removing the PFAS. One interesting article or, or, or press release, if you will, that I, I read is said, removing the de minimis, among other things. So that there's a lot that that's in that, mm-hmm. among other things. I, I, I'm not even going to speculate what's in the among other things. Mm. Um, I don't know if they're alluding to they might not only remove the de minimis, but maybe lower the reporting threshold. Right now the reporting threshold is 100 pounds. Um, you know, is that going to stay 100 pounds? Um, the only the only true thing that we know is is EPA is is really focusing on removing the de minimis because um, they do think that that will capture uh, a, a better picture of where are PFAS being used, how is the PFAS getting into our environment, so that we can then better manage the the PFAS chemicals in the environment. Mm. So, Jackie, what do we recommend for those out there listening who are subject to this reporting? Yeah, so our recommendations haven't changed too much. Um, Our recommendations are still work with your suppliers to get the best available information relative to PFAS. Um, It's, as we talked last time, our supply chain is complicated. It's not getting any less complicated. And so it takes some time to sometimes get that best available information because your supplier might be getting it from another supplier who might be getting it from another supplier who might be getting it from another supplier. So you might be multiple folds removed from the actual manufacturer. So so work with your suppliers. Make sure you get the best available information relative to PFAS without, you know, without recognition of any type of de minimis. There is a de minimis in these EPCRA TRI reports that we were talking about but there are other regulatory programs that do not have de minimis considerations. When you're talking about wastewater and air permitting, which PFAS is, is, is a little bit parochial on what states and municipalities might be managing that and how. I'll refer you back to other literature and podcasts and information we've had on the polls on that. Um, but not all environmental regulations have a de minimis consideration. So for you to best manage your risk, for you to identify, are you using PFAS? for you to hopefully control it at the source and and minimize the impacts on the environment, um, we say connect with your suppliers, ask if there's PFAS in any amount so you can holistically approach your risk, holistically look at source reduction and source control. Um, So there are some companies that have what they call environmental data sheets for their products these are a little bit better than safety data sheets. So in seeking for best available information, ask for an environmental data sheet instead of a safety data sheet. Mm. Um, PFAS is still not regulated by OSHA. So we're not going to get the best available information about PFAS from a safety data sheet. Um, and then um, also some companies have their own data request form. I know when I worked in industry before working with HRP, we had our own environmental data form that before we brought any uh, chemical on site, the supplier had to fill out our chemical approval form. Mm-hmm. And that was because there were just other things that we were worried about that we just weren't able to capture on uh, on a safety data sheet. And those were maybe initiatives that we were participating in, maybe because those were because of really tight, maybe wastewater permit or air permit considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, so just work with suppliers. They're, they're your partner in this. And, and, and you know, that information is, is yours to have so that you can manage your, your site better. And just continue to work with your suppliers to get that information. Mm. So there's been a lot of news going around about PFAS, especially with this uh, proposed addition of adding PFAS as a hazardous substance, uh, potentially. What effect would this have? Right. So um, not much on TRI reporting, okay. but EPCRA is a multi-layered uh, regu- regulation. So under EPCRA, 
there is the toxic release inventory reports, which is what we were talking about, mm -hmm. where PFAS being listed as a hazardous substance is not going to affect the TRI reports. But one of the other sections of EPCRA, it will affect, and that is EPCRA 304. Mm -hmm. um, extra, uh, EPCRA 304 is also referred to as the emergency release notification. And this is where when a facility has a release of certain listed chemicals above their what's called reportable quantity, then there's a series of notifications you have to make to certain state or local or federal agencies about that release. Um, and so, again, that's under EPCRA 304. And so, as you know, as the sausage continues to get made with, with two PFAS chemicals being added, potentially added to the list of hazardous substances, if and when that does happen, then as individuals that have PFAS, and specifically it's just two PFAS chemicals, uh, there's well over 100 that's on the TRI list, but there's only two that's being proposed to be added to the hazardous substance list, PFAS and PFOA. Um, so that's PFOA, PFOS. Um, there's only two that are suspected to be added. The reportable quantity appears to be one pound is what's going to be proposed on that. Okay. So that's not a lot. Mm -hmm. But those are also two of the PFAS chemicals that we've seen most companies kind of move away from. Um, but for those chemical, those companies that are using PFOA or PFOS, um, have them on site, um, they'll need to update their emergency response plans and make sure that they update, you know, hopefully within their emergency response plans, they know exactly those chemicals that require reporting and how much they would have to spill or release on site to require reporting. So if they're using those, um, they would more be updating their emergency response procedures. It would not materially affect their uh, TRI reporting. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. Remember, if you are not already subscribed to the PFOS Pulse, go to hrpassociates.com slash PFOS to subscribe today and stay in the know on all of the most important and latest information regarding PFOS. Stay safe out there, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye.